seated. And would you open your Bibles uh, to our Old Testament lesson for the day? It's going to um, sound very familiar to some of you on Wednesday nights and, um, and very familiar to those of you who are married as well. It's this foundation of covenant um, marriage, this foundation of covenant relationship, and it comes to us from Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible with you today, uh, you might look around. There's probably a a maroon or red um, pew Bible nearby. And uh, Genesis, of course, is the first book of the Bible. You'll find this passage on page 2, page 2 of that pew Bible. Amazing um, story of creation. Each of us has to wrestle with how we understand that. But, but in Genesis chapter 2, we see this amazing foundation for the love of God. I'm going to jump right into the middle of this story, this epic story of humanity and its need for God and its need for love. And this is in the, begin, uh, the middle of that story. Um, God has, has made creation and over and over again, he has said, this is good. This is good, right? And so this, this refrain keeps coming back. God said it happened and, and it was good. And then all of a sudden, the whole story just stops on a dime in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And when we read this, whenever you see the capital letters, uh, uh, that, that's that translation of the name of God. Yahweh. When you see the capital letters L O R D, that's literally the name of God, Yahweh. Then Yahweh, Lord God, said, It is not good. Do you hear that? Slams on the brakes. Wait, for the first time in all creation, something is not good. It is not good that man should be left alone. So I will make him a helper fit for him in the ESV, a help meet. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. He was showing his dominion over earth, humankind's dominion over earth by naming these. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But look at this. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So... Yahweh, the Lord God, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones. Why does he say at last? Because he's just been through every animal and bird and fish in the kingdom and not found something. All you cat and dog people, he did not find something suitable for him. Now he says, this at last is a bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, Isha in Hebrew, because she was taken out of Ish. She was taken out of man. But look at this. Look at this conclusion here. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That were not enough, he goes on. And the man and the woman were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the very word of God. The New Testament reading today comes from the book of John, chapter 14. In the Pew Bible, it is found on page 901 in the English Standard Version. Let not your 
hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else, believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive Because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me. And I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, He will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the world and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is the very word of God. 
Mm, thank you. And I gave her the wrong uh, ending point. Let me just read that last verse. Peace I leave with you, Jesus says. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Oh, my goodness. So how do we become more like Christ? Um, the invitation, the Jesus incarnation, the invitation of it, the incarnation is, is that we can be like him. And we saw last week that one day we will. One day we will see him face to face and we will be like him. We will understand things that we don't understand. We will, we will uh, feel and experience things that we don't yet feel or experience. And, and we'll do amazing things, he says. But I want to suggest to you that as we bust out our, uh, our purpose here, if, if it is God's purpose that we would become more like Christ and we can oversimplify it, uh, all the all the Old and New Testament that we could oversimplify it into those three words, and we better unpack them a little bit, shouldn't we? Uh, what does it mean to become more like Jesus? Over the next three weeks, we'll unpack each of uh, three different thoughts. First of all, um, that it means that we will we will experience more love. We will experience more intimacy. I know you don't like that word, intimacy with God, and that's where we're going to focus today. The next week we're going we're gonna to discover, looking to Jesus and seeing how Jesus lived the Christ life, uh, we're going to see that it's going to mean more intentional community, that we only really reflect the image of God when we're in community with other people. And so we're going we're gonna to press on for deeper relationships with others. And then the following week we'll see uh, that, that it's going to mean more intentional impact. We are going to impact the world for Christ. Let me put that differently. Well, certainly we together as a body of Christ, but you are going to impact the world for, for Christ. So that's where we're going. Today I'd like to just camp with you a little bit on this first idea, this idea that, that becoming more like Jesus means that, that we're going to experience more love, we're going to give more love, we're going to experience intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. Now, as we begin, we got a problem because our, our world, and you can see it all the way back in the garden. We didn't go there today, but if we had read one more chapter into chapter 3, we would realize that beautiful world that God created was broken apart already. Why? Well, it was isolated by brokenness and sin. So we have this problem of isolation. I apologize. I did not get my notes into the thing, so I'm going to try and talk to you clearly about it. Our major category we're talking about right now is um, first, we talked about how do we become more like Jesus by becoming more loving, by becoming more intentional in our community, by becoming more intentional in our global impact. But secondly, now we're at this major point, how do we experience intimacy with God? We have a problem, and the problem is isolation, is isolation. People are starving for intimacy, physical intimacy, emotional or soulish intimacy and spiritual intimacy we're starving for it and yet we're not drinking deep of it remember all the studies of of babies and what happens if you isolate a baby even just physically forget emotional and spiritual for a second if you isolate that baby just physically from touch and from 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 love what what how that truncates their development, how, how, limit, how it limits them. Now, is it insurmountable? No, no. It's never too late for healing. It's never too late to go back in there. But, but children that are kept from, from physical touch starve for intimacy. And a lot of the rest of their lives they spend trying to get love, right? 
physical, emotional, and, and spiritual love. And for some reason, a country song is in my head. I'm looking for love in all the wrong places, right? That's what we do and, and, uh, because we're starving for this kind of intimacy. I want to say that again. I'm going to think of it in terms of three categories. And Scripture unabashedly addresses all three. Physical intimacy, emotional or soulish in- intimacy, and spiritual intimacy as well. Well, what does God do? What does God do? If we're starving for intimacy, what does he do? Did you see that in Genesis chapter 2? He says, this is not good to isolate yourself. This is not good to be starving for intimacy. And what does he do? He puts physical presence in our lives. In, in the garden, he gave Adam, Eve. He gave uh, um, Adam this, this counterpart. And, and, and did you see his response? Uh, it was just amazing. Now... Oh my gosh, now this emptiness is filled. Now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And, and beloved, if we, if we overlook that, if we overlook the, the beauty of covenant relationship uh, in, in, in meeting our physical needs, then we are blind. We are blind to something God created in us. And God hadn't provided a solution for us in that. So, so um, sweet, sweet fellowship, whether it's in covenant marriage or in covenant Christian community, God has provided other people to be with us. If you're new to us, it might alarm you how many men hug each other in this church. Uh, what is that? What is that? We just recognize that God has given us brotherly love. And we're unashamed of that. We're unashamed. That's hard for some of us when it first, first happens. It's hard for us. But we're trying to overcome that. God created us for intimacy. And God solved their intimacy problem there, their physical intimacy problem, by giving each other bone of their bone and flesh of their flesh. But the reason I pointed out that last phrase, why in the world would you say in church they were naked and not ashamed? Why would you say that in church? Two reasons. One, it's in Scripture, for starters. But secondly, I think that what he's talking about right there is, is the emotional intimacy, right? Because most of us spend the bulk of our lives hiding from other people. Most of us uh, don't experience that emotional intimacy that God created us for, and our soul shrivels as, as a result. God provided for Adam and Eve uh, this, this beautiful physical and emotional intimacy. Now, when I go out on a limb here, I'm going out by myself uh, here, but, I, but it raised a question for me. What about, what about spiritual intimacy? In the garden, my initial reaction was, was, well, God walked with them and talked with them, right? Uh, and so, yes, certainly they had spiritual intimacy. And then this nagging thought came back to me, and that was, that was, uh, that they had not yet eaten of the tree of life. Remember, there was two trees in the garden, wasn't there? They ate of the one that they were told not to, and they didn't eat of the other one that they were told they could. And had they, had they eaten of that, what would have happened? Had they eaten of the tree of life, they would have lived forever, which means not, we're not talking about physical life now, we're talking about spiritual life. So there's this question in my mind, I wrestle with it, I hang that out there for you, but, but my suspicion is that they were, they were starving still. Even though they walked and talked with God, they knew about God, but they, didn't, they weren't alive to God. Now that would only come when Christ would come. All those references which we want to address today of the Holy Spirit in here, what is that? That's becoming alive to God and having God dwell in us. So I want you to wrestle with this problem. Are you isolating yourself physically from other people? 
praise God. And some of you, it's very difficult to put yourself in a, in a crowded room like this. Praise God. You had the courage to do that. Are you isolating yourself emotionally? Are you so guarding your heart? Are you, have you been so wounded and so hurt by other people or in your, in your mind by God himself that you're protecting your heart now and, and, and isolating yourself so that you won't be hurt? As we've discovered before together, that's not a solution, right? Because what you're doing is you're, you're ceasing to feel. And God made you to feel. God feels God made you to feel as well. And, and, and if you inoculate yourself to feeling, then you won't feel pain. Congratulations. And you won't feel joy either. You won't feel other things either. Isolation isn't the solution. A, a couple of premises are coming out of this. And, and so in your mind, our major category here, the problem of isolation, the couple of premises that are important for us here is that, that most of us are really afraid of intimacy and and wow um we could spend a lot of time trying to explore that but i want you to just risk risk the possibility that that might be true most of us do not want physical emotional and spiritual intimacy we do not want to be known because we're afraid that if we are known then people will do one of many things to immediately come to my mind one is they will reject us they will reject us Men, why do we posture so? Why do we, we project an image of ourselves that is not really us? I don't, I don't think it's just pride and or certainly a desire to deceive other people. I think it's probably because if you reject that, Jennifer, if you reject that projection of myself right there, then I'm okay, right? Because that wasn't really me. You haven't rejected me. You just rejected who you thought I was, right? Um, so, so we falsely project who we are because we're afraid of what will happen if we really are ourselves. But also, I, the second thing that immediately comes to my mind is that, is that what happens if I project myself or if I allow you to see myself and you abandon me? It's not the same as rejection, is it? And you abandon me. Um, many of us are still struggling with brokenness that came from being abandoned by the people that God intended for us to be most intimate with. That includes the love of the church. People of God, and they entrusted themselves to us and we abandoned them. So, so a couple of premises. One is that we're afraid of intimacy. And did you see how this passage began and end? It says, don't let your hearts be stirred up. In other words, don't be afraid he ends that with peace I live to, leave to you, not as the world... Get, uh, I can't say this. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I you. Let not your hearts be stirred up and don't let them be afraid. The passage book ends with this whole thing. Jesus says the problem here is that, is that we're afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Risk intimacy with others second premise here is that is that you can't experience intimacy with people that you don't love is that fair is that fair enough let me say it again you can't experience intimacy with people you don't love right I'm trying to think of a good example but I, I always love going to the hospitals and getting on the elevators right um, and the door closes and right there's this instant elevator community right is it an intimate community no <laughs> no Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of some uh, 
YouTube videos where a person gets on an elevator and turns around and faces everybody, and immediately everybody gets really uncomfortable, right? It's really un- Why? Because this person's going to want to be intimate, and I don't want to be intimate with someone I don't know, right? What happens if that elevator gets stuck for four hours? What happens when they get off that elevator? They're like best buds, right? We, we, you and me, right? Why? Because we survived this experience together. We, we learned something about each other. We had this common experience together. You can't have intimacy with people that you don't love. And here's the third premise here. I'm not sure that you can love people that you don't know, right? I can say that I love people. Oh, I love the world. God bless me, right? Um, but if I don't know these people, then those words are really, are really empty. I can say I love them. I can even pretend that I love them. But when push comes to shove and, and, and true love, true love meaning sacrificial love, true love meaning greater love has no one than this than that you lay down their life for a friend, then when push comes to shove, you will not lay your life down for them, right? Because you don't really know them and you don't really love them. And so, so um, I want to just begin recognizing that there's real roots to this problem of isolation. There's, there's real roots to them. I want to go back for a second. You know that one of my favorite stories, one of the things that, that just absolutely transformed my life was when I understood for the first time why uh, Nate Saint and, and the Ecuadorian missionaries gave their lives for the gospel in Ecuador in 1956. If you don't know me, you don't know that story, uh, Google it. It will change your life. Um, it was recorded in a couple of different books, uh, Jungle Pilot by Nate Saint and, um, excuse me, by, I believe it was Stephen Saint, and, uh, and also um, the gates, Through the Gates of Splendor, right? Uh, this, this amazing story of five men who could have protected themselves and didn't. But we find out why they didn't in the conversation that one of them had with their son. And that was this idea that, um, that dad promised me that if they attack you, they knew that these people were murderers. I'm going to come after you guys because you know some murderers, don't you? You watched a beheading on TV recently, right? You know some murderers. They knew that these people were murderers, right? And, and, the, and the son says to the father, Dad, promise me that if, if, if they come after you with spears, that you will shoot them, that you will defend them. And the father gets down on his knees and says to his son face to face, Son, I'm not going to do that because these people don't know Jesus, right? And if I kill them, they will never have had a chance to know Jesus. But I do know Jesus. If they kill me, then I get to be with Jesus and I get to see you again. Son, this radically changed my life as I began to grasp on to this truth. You have to know people to love them. You have to risk knowing them. And those missionaries risked knowing someone. And they, they, if you know the story, they were killed. And we thought, well, that's a heck of an ending for a great story, right? They just died on the beach out there in the river. And you know that with God, that's never the story. And their wives went back and their children went back. And their children got to know these people who murdered their husbands and their fathers. And they got to love these people who (laughs) murdered their fathers. Do you know who baptized uh, uh, Stephen Saint? You know who baptized him? The murderer of his father baptized him in the river where his father was killed. 
Why? Because he loved him. There was no more powerful spiritual influence on his life than the person who murdered his father and had come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So, so the reason I bring that story out is because we're surrounded by terrible stories, aren't we? We're surrounded by stories of, people, of policemen shooting people and, and, and people being beheaded. We're surrounded by the same things. And we can do two things. We can be afraid of that. We can isolate ourselves and hunker down and become this holy community that, that, that hides from the world and isolates itself from the world. Or we can recklessly love them. Don't do this if you don't know Jesus as your Savior. But if you do, what can someone take away from you, right? Because, beloved, if you know Jesus as your Savior, then you have died already. Amen? You've died physically. You've died emotionally. You have died spiritually. You have given up your life. Or what can someone take away from you? Don't be stupid. Watch this. Don't go jumping out of airplanes. Had to get that in there. Okay. My son recently did that. You know, don't, don't be foolish. Um, I'm just jealous. I want to jump out of airplanes too. Um, but if you've given your life to Christ, if you've died to yourself, then nobody can take anything away from you. How could Stephen stand there as he was being stoned and, and, and say, oh, Father, forgive me. They don't know what they're doing. I see you. I'm looking to you, God. So this issue is, is really important. Two key thoughts uh, about this issue of isolation. Um, we have to be really honest with ourselves. About now you're saying, I don't love. I don't know those people, whoever those people are for you. And I don't love those people. Thank you for your integrity. And I'm not asking you to not have integrity. Here's, here's a gift, though, that comes by faith. Knowing God can allow you to love people you don't yet know that's how it worked for for the ecuadorian missionaries right that's how it worked they knew god they knew god loved the alcas right and and therefore they could love the alcas because god loves the alcas a little while ago you saw on a film um god loves muslims and for some of us that was that rattled our cage because in our minds, without ever really thinking about it, we just assume that God couldn't love Muslims, right? <laughs> Repeat after me, God so loved. Yeah, yeah. That he gave his only begotten son, right? Um, so that's a radical thought, that knowing God can allow you to love people that you don't yet know. That doesn't excuse you from not knowing them. It, it, it invites you to know them so that you can experience emotionally and physically what you're experiencing spiritually through loving God, that, that these people are beloved of God. Secondly, the essence of love, these are the key thoughts here at the end of this idea of isolation. The essence of love is contained in covenant relationships. In covenant relationships. We're going to hang that truth out there and then come back and pick it up next week. But, but it's, you cannot say, oh, I just love you, love you, love you, and not enter into covenant relationship. Remember the idea of covenant? It's not unilateral. It is mutual. Um, God showed his covenant relationship with us by, um, first with Abraham, by the blood path, right? Offering animals in in place of uh, people for their sin. And then in Jesus Christ, offering his only begotten son. And and in that blood covenant, remember I just said it last or a couple weeks ago, this is the new 
covenant in my blood, right? Um, so, so we enter into this covenant relationship with God first. Then we enter into the covenant relationships, and God celebrates covenant relationships with our life partners, right? Um, um, but it's a covenant relationship that that fancy $10,000 ceremony, you know, was really about the covenant relationship. It wasn't about the flowers or the colors of the dresses, right? It was about the covenant relationship. And then as we'll see next week, God invites us to be in covenant relationship with each other. I'm smiling at Nick over here, my brother in Christ. And we're in a covenant relationship for 26 weeks. And, uh, yeah, I didn't tell you that part, did I? And, and it's awesome. It's awesome to go life on life during that time. It's not forever. Lord willing, we'll, when that relationship ends, we will go out and enter into covenant relationships with other people. But, but there's something beautiful that happens when you mutually agree for a season to do this. There's something beautiful that happens when you mutually agree forever <laughs> to love your wife. There's something beautiful that happens when you die to self and mutually agree with God that you will live for him. Let's move on then. If the problem is isolation, what from our scripture is, is the solution? And I'm just going to suggest to you, I couldn't think of more eloquent words. It's risking intimacy. It's risking intimacy. If the problem is isolation, then intimacy is the solution. I'm going to go back to it and say it one more time. First of all, you've got to get over this fear thing. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't let your heart be divided or stirred up by all the news accounts that you're reading about different things, um, uh, fear is the single greatest obstacle to faith and the experience of God's presence. Do not confuse that with holy fear. That's really awe and reverence. I'm talking about being afraid. Being afraid that something will be taken away from you. What does fear do? We've explored that together. It makes you either want to run or fight, neither of which are good solutions with God. God wants you to run to him, not from him. So don't be afraid. But secondly, risk believing that you are worth rescuing. Risk believing that you are worth rescuing. I chose this passage today, and you've heard many of you have heard me talk about this passage before, because Jesus is doing something very intentional in John chapter 14. What is he describing? He says, In my Father's house are many, remember that King James, mansions, right, rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I am going, he says, to prepare a place for you. That that if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that you may be where I am. What is that? As many of you know, because we've studied it before, what is that? That is wedding imagery. That is what every Hebrew who heard that understood exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about what happens when, when a couple is betrothed. A, a, a man, in most cases in the Hebrew culture, a man would negotiate with a father, take note, take note, those of you who would date my daughters, um, the, the man would negotiate with the father a bride price. Okay? I can be bought. And, um, and once they had negotiated that price, then he would go off, right? He would go off. The woman's just hanging in the breeze. He would go off and prepare a place for her. And, oh, rats, I knew this was going to come back and bite me. Usually, usually that was in his father's house. Don't, don't read that part, okay? Usually that was in his father's house. And when that was ready, 
It might be yet another room on this ever-growing complex. But when that was ready, then he would come back. And, and all that imagery from Matthew chapter 25, the virgins and all that kind of thing, all that imagery comes from this wedding imagery. He would come back and surprise her, right, whenever that was. And she had to be ready like that. All of her, all of her maids of honor had to be ready. And they would go to that ceremony. And as we've seen so beautifully in our communion service, when they came to that wedding, the man would offer the woman the cup, right? the cup of wine, and and in offering her the cup of wine, he was saying to her, uh, I give you my life. The life is in the blood. I give you my life. And if she received it, then she was saying, I receive your life and I give you mine. And then in the later ceremonies, remember what they did? They took that cup, they put it on the ground and go, L'chaim, right, to life, to life. So, so what Jesus is intentionally doing is, is tying in our physical and emotional and spiritual intimacy with each other in marriage to this idea of spiritual intimacy as well. So you've got to risk believe that you are worth Jesus going and preparing a place for you and then him coming back for you to take you, did you hear that? To take you to be where he is to take you to experience the physical presence that none of us uh, have physically felt before. The disciples did. There's actually a question in there. They say, why aren't you going to reveal yourself to the world? He says, I, am, I have revealed myself to you, though I don't yet dwell in you. But, but I'm only going to dwell in those who believe in me by faith. Jesus is preparing a place for you, Gavin. Jesus will come back for you. And Jesus said, uh, Deal with this. Jesus wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. Wow. Don't be afraid. Risk believing that you are worth rescuing, but risk also getting to know your rescuer. And and in here he says two different two baby steps toward that. I'm gonna I'm gonna borrow Kairos's listen, listen, love, love for a second because it's just too tempting right here. He says, listen. Listen to Jesus. Listen to God through his word, right? And so over and over again in this passage in John 14, he he portrays the importance of the word. You cannot know Jesus apart from his word. And you say, wait a second, what about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit only reminds you of what Jesus said. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, right? Check it out in John 17. He will remind you. The way we go one-on-one with God is to is to get into his word. And I celebrate those of you who've made a lifetime commitment to knowing his word. But secondly, we have this amazing opportunity to listen to God in prayer, to go and actually talk with him, which some of us have gotten pretty good at, uh, and listen to him, which most of us have not. Listen to him. One of the reasons I don't have, I'm not making an excuse, but I don't have the notes in here is because... Um, I had planned to go um, with an, an Old Testament passage, and and uh, I was napping yesterday, and um, and I found that for whatever reason, when I nap, then my brain shuts down, and I can sometimes hear God better. All the stuff about dreams and stuff like that, there's something to that, beloved. So when I woke up, um, I just was saying, God, are you sure that's where you want me to go tomorrow? And he goes, no, I want you to go here. I am in them, and they are in me. Um Rats, God, I was all set to go a different direction. Um, 
But I believe that in those words, in John 14, the Father is in me and I'm in the Father and the Father and I are in you and you can be in us. And as we'll see next week, when we go to John 17, um, we get included in that as well. Jesus says, I am in you and you are in me. That is intimacy, beloved. That is intimacy with God. And he's inviting you into that. You've got to respond. Uh, not to respond is to respond. Um, what are you going to do with this God who wants to know you, who wants to speak with you, who wants to listen to your voice, and then like Abraham, that amazing soliloquy, you say, shall I tell, fill in the blank, Dave, Karen, shall I tell them what I'm about to do? Yes, I will. I want to speak to them. Risk getting to know your rescuer. Now risk loving your rescuer with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What am I quoting right there? The great commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Risk believing and wanting what Jesus believed and wanted. Your kingdom come, we prayed earlier. We're quoting Jesus. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Risk believing and wanting what Jesus believed and wanted. Risk living for His kingdom. Offer your mind and your will and your emotions. Stop wrestling with God and start working with God. Right? Because He chose you. He wants to use you. Risk believing and wanting what Jesus believed and wanted. Risk doing. Do you see all the do's in this passage? Risk doing what Jesus would do. In verse 12, he says, Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And I'm going, wow, wow, that's awesome. But he doesn't stop there. He continues, and and greater works than these, in other words, greater works than what then what Jesus did will you do, he says. I, I cannot wrap my brain around that. Well, where do we see that? Where do we see people rising from the dead? Where do we see people being, being healed? We don't see that so much, do we, in the United States? Do we see it in the world? Oh, yes. Did you hear the Muslim's testimony on that, on that video? Um, he was... He was interacting with a Christian and, and God said to him, this is what I was telling you about. <laughs> and we have, we have so isolated ourselves from God that we can't hear him anymore. God is moving. God is speaking. God is revealing himself. God is still doing miracles. And Jesus promised that we will do greater miracles than those if we will only believe, right? Risk doing what Jesus would do. Greater works than these will you do because I'm going to the Father. I'm going to be sitting at the Father's right hand saying, yes. When Marianne prays, yes, God, yes. This ends with saying, anything you ask, anything you ask in my name, I will do for you. What is your anything? Are you afraid? to ask I am sometimes because I don't want to be disappointed <laughs> I'm sorry your pastor suffers from a tremendous lack of faith 
God, I've got to protect my heart because I don't want to be disappointed. If you don't do what I ask, then, then somehow that will diminish you. Oh, my goodness, read Job, right? Read Job. God is still on the throne. God is sovereign. Even when he doesn't answer in the way that we wanted, he gives us what we need, not what we want, right? What are you asking of him? What are you asking? Lastly, risk intimacy with God. Make your heart Christ's home. Verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And here it is. And we will come to him or her and make our home with him or her. Wow. Risk intimacy with God. Hence said worship all day long, have I? But that's what worship really is. It's not standing up and sitting down. It's not knowing the right words. It's not checking off your quiet times on a list. All those things are good and well. But worship at its core is intimacy with God. And He's inviting you to that. Pray with me, would you? Goodness, Lord. I'm just struggling to wrap my brain around incarnation that my rescuer has come. Not just to save me, but to save us. I'm just beginning to wrap my brain around the fact that that us is much larger than my family or my my um, spiritual community here at all of that or certainly my denomination or any of those things. God, your love is greater far than we could ever imagine. God, forgive us for the times when we've hid from you. We've hid from each other. Like Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, we were more interested in blaming other people, shifting the focus off of our own brokenness than accepting the fact that you love us in our brokenness. God, we can believe it for anyone else. The hardest person is ourselves to believe that you love us in the midst of our brokenness, exactly how we are. You came while we were still broken, while we were still sinners, and you rescued us. Father, as we worship you, we fall down before you. We just cry out, I receive that precious gift. I'm not worthy. I'll never be worthy. But I receive that precious gift. Come. Come. Rescue me, God.